This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month they deliver them to your front door. And by Jennifer Lee Olmsted, Jill Harrigan, Heather McKinnon, Ellen Gross, Valerie Jacobson, Chantelle Oliver, Jamie Lang, Maria Sanchez, Mandy Booty, Monique Harris Pixado, Caitlin McTaggart, and Craig Williamson. And a very happy birthday to Jasmine Gleason. Thank you so much for being our sponsors. We couldn't do it without you. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Katie. Hey, shh. Oh, shh. Oh. There's an echo in here. Oh, we're in an art gallery. Oh, we're on a field trip. Ooh. Oh, okay. And this isn't just any art gallery. We're in the Musée d'Orsay <gasps> in Paris. Yay. Home to some of the greatest modern art in the world. Here's the Monet section. Mmm. I do love a good Monet. This is probably my favorite. But this is really crowded. Mm-hmm. And here's Van Gogh. Ah, that's my favorite. Ah, uh, even more crowded. <laughs> Fun fact, I once met Stephen Hawking in the Van Gogh room at the Musée d'Orsay. What? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And over here, follow me, Manet. Hmm. Crowds here too, though. And they're all flocking toward a couple of really famous paintings. Right. Manet's Luncheon on the Grass Mm -hmm. and Olympia. Ah, yes. So let's just squeeze in here, (laughs) elbow some of these people out of the way. It's actually sort of comforting in a weird way to imagine being in a public place <laughs> in a crowd. Say, that's, that's equal parts like uh, nostalgic and horrifying now. <laughs> so squeeze on in here, Olivia, and let's take a closer look at these two paintings. And listeners, take a look at the show notes. Just do yourself a favor and do it right now <laughs> so you can see these two paintings alongside us. Or just Google it. It'll come right up. Luncheon on the Grass and Olympia by Manet. They're both huge. They're like larger-than-life paintings. Mm. 82 by 104 inches. What is that in feet? A lot. A lot of feet. (laughs) (laughs) And up until Manet painted these, a big canvas was for either a historical event, like a battle scene. Right. Or some kind of epic mythological moment. Mm. But these are not that. These are two everyday kinds of scenes. Mm. Well, almost everyday. Uh, because both of them feature right smack in the middle a naked woman. Right. Where everybody else is clothed. And yep. the woman is naked. There's one naked woman. <laughs> yep. It's French reality. Well, <laughs> a naked woman <laughs> who is staring down the viewer. (laughs) She is looking into your soul. And especially in Olympia, 
the expression on her face is something that we could attempt to describe for an hour. <laughs> so you just have to see them. <laughs> have a look. Both of these paintings uh, were painted by Manet in 1863, and they caused scandal. <laughs> and it's these two paintings that are often considered a watershed moment in art history that mark the start of modern art. Mm. How many millions of people over the years have stood here, right where we are, <laughs> and looked at these two paintings? My guest today, the writer, Dreema Drudge, she also stood here in front of these two paintings, but for her, it was a life-altering moment. <laughs> Okay, great. I'm Dreema Drudge, and uh, I am a Spalding MFA in creative writing graduate. Uh, I've loved literature my whole life, and I'm the author of Victorine. So rather than looking at these paintings and thinking, what is Manet trying to say here? Dreema Drudge said, who is this woman? Hmm. I felt like there was something about that very defiant gaze of hers. I mean, she's, you know, she's a, a nude it's she's staring at us sort of defiantly and I thought what are you trying to say I felt like there was more behind that painting and so I made it my business to find out what that was so about 10 15 years ago Dreama Drudge started digging who is this woman turns out she has a name Victorine Moron hmm. and she doesn't appear just in these two paintings but in over 30 paintings mm. by all kinds of famous artists in Paris wow. in the 1860s, 1870s. And then all of a sudden, she's not being painted anymore. Mm. She kind of disappears. What happened to her? Yeah. The assumption has always been that she died, you know, some kind of tragic romance or tuberculosis, alcoholism, syphilis. <laughs> right. But that's not what happened at all. Ah. And actually, the truth is really quite lovely. <gasps> oh, thank goodness we need a happy ending. <laughs> and the bigger idea that just jumps out from this story is what is the self? Who are you? <laughs> Psychologists say we're some concoction of environment and genes and, and there's a balance of what other people map onto you and then what comes from within. And Victorine is so fascinating in this context because she was painted 30 times. Hmm. We have everybody else's idea of who she was and none of her own. Hmm. Until now. Yay! I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. Dreama Drudge is author of a new book called Victorine, about Victorine, <laughs> and it's a result of years of research. The sad thing is the facts we know about her you can kind of put on two hands. She was born in Paris, February 18th, 1844. The rumor has it that her mother was a milliner. Her father seems to have been some kind of printmaker. And I definitely ran with that because I thought how interesting that the father and the mother are both, we might say, like one step removed, they're artisans versus artists. And so that would definitely give her, um, you know, a real, a taste of art. 
but not you know being poor you know and a woman she wasn't going to be able right off the bat to afford to go to art school it's possible she was a musician she was depicted more than once in Manet's paintings with a guitar, which doesn't necessarily mean that she did, but it, you know, the, again, the rumor mill was that she had done some concerts. And then uh, again, another rumor was that she had um, given both guitar and violin lessons. Then she met the painter, Edouard Manet, <laughs> and everything changed. If you know anything about Manet, you know he was sort of this uh, wild child of painting, you know. There's a book called Pretty Aptly, Rebel Within a Frock Coat, and I think that <laughs> describes him pretty well. So on the one hand, he wanted the approval of society, and he wanted the approval of the Academy. You know, the Paris Salon was the big show each year of the best of Paris's art. And if your work was included in there, you were a somebody. And on the one hand, he wanted that so badly. But on the other hand, he didn't want to follow the rules. He didn't want to paint inside the lines. He didn't want to stick with the historical or the classical subjects. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do. We're not even exactly sure how they met. So the story is he saw a street singer coming out of a cafe and he asked the woman, would you please pose for me? She said, no way. He's like, well, that's fine. I'll just have Victorine do it. I already have a model. But we don't know that. So in my story, because Manet had had some um, etchings done, in my story, I had uh, Manet come to her father's shop and she, she met him there. So to me, that seemed like, well, that, that seems likely. So a lot of what I put in my book, I had to find the best of the rumors <laughs> and choose which ones seem most likely to me. <laughs> and that was just Manet. More and more painters discovered her and a total of... 30-plus paintings hmm. appeared of her. So I was sort of trying to figure out from, from these paintings, what can I know about her? What can we, we sort of deduce? So she sat um, for Manet, you know, most famously. Then um, she sat for Alfred Stevens quite a bit. Degas did something of, of her, uh, Toulouse-Lautrec. Um, and then later in life, Norbert Genut. And those are the last known paintings of her. And in most of them, she is a prostitute. <laughs> Another one of the rumors about her was that she was supposedly uh, a sex worker. I, I doubt that she was a sex worker. I think that probably that rumor came about uh, probably because she's posed for so many nude paintings. It wasn't a problem for her. She seemed very comfortable doing that. Did she like being a model or was it just a way to pay the bills? Hmm. We'll never know. But we do have a couple of little clues. Hmm. She was a working class woman. Hmm. Um, so that's two counts against her right there. Gender and class. Right. And I don't think we do know a lot about her childhood. Um, I think it's very likely that she would have had to have contributed in some way. And that's why I thought, you know, maybe she worked for her father. Maybe she worked for her mother. You know, it's likely she didn't get a lot of education. And, um, you know, at that point, the... Uh, the Fine Art Academy of France was not accepting women. They didn't accept women until 1897. And so that wouldn't have been available to her. You know, women were painters, uh, but usually they had the means to hire a private tutor or to hire, you know, a painter, a male painter to teach them, or they went to private academies and that cost quite a bit. And I think that would have been outside of Victorine's means. Hmm. So if she, if she dreams of being an artist, there is no way in. Except mm. maybe if you're a model <laughs> and you can watch the great painters paint. Ah. 
you're hanging out in studios all the time. You're hearing them talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty brilliant. We don't know, but I think, I mean, that could be the most genius thing. Yeah. I think as women, we can relate to even now, you know, there are still barriers that we're trying to break through. So, Edouard Manet, he probably discovered her. They had a close relationship based on the number of times that he painted her. Some people assume that they were lovers, but there's no real evidence of that. I show him as being more of a mentor towards her and her um, trying very hard to define their relationship uh, and to find out who she was as a painter and always wanting to, but always feeling that pressure of... um, you know, men being the painters, and she's like so badly wanting to be a painter. And one point, one point, I have her um, grabbing for his brush because she wants to show him something. Like she just, she, she'll just tell him what she thinks of his painting. She's like, "You should do this, and you should do this." And he's like grabbing her hand and keeping her from getting the paintbrush. And I feel like that is so emblematic of what was actually happening at that point. You know, the women who did paint, you know, uh, the the Morceau sisters, you know, Bert Morceau is, is obviously very well known. And uh, their art tutor said to their mother, if you're not careful, these sisters are going to become painters. <laughs> you don't want that. You know, you want them to be mothers and wives, right? So rumor has it that he and Victorine disagreed and she's like, I, I really think the way to go is maybe to try to cater a little bit more to, you know, the public, to try to cater to the um, the academy and get yourself well known. She and Manet seem to have had a falling out. So the last painting we know that he did of her is 1873. The next year, somehow, she's off to art school. Yeah. In 1875, she did actually, she's recorded as going to the Julian Academy. So she did go. So in my book, I really come up with this elaborate scheme as to how she was able to get the money to go, which is totally made up. And I hate to do that, but you know, it's fiction. You have to find a way for her to get to school because she did. She went, she went to night classes at this, um, at Julian Academy. The year after that, (laughs) it's so amazing. She entered her work in the Paris Salon. Ah. And I'm sure you remember from the right. May Alcott episode what a big deal it is. Yeah. What was it that Jan Turnquist called it? The Super Bowl, the Super Bowl of, of art. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One year of art school and she dares to enter her painting into the Paris Salon. Wow. And <laughs> guess what happened? She gets in. <laughs> Even better. Manet's work was turned down and hers was accepted. (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) Yes! She got accepted and he got rejected. Wow. (laughs) Well, he can can tell himself she's just a novelty. She's the the fun new trend. She's a fad. He probably did tell himself that the first time it happened. (laughs) She actually had work accepted six different times in the Paris Salon. So it wasn't just a one-off, you know, oh, wow, she's Manet's former model, so she's a curiosity. I don't think it was that at all. I think she was accomplished, uh, which thrills me even more. I'm like, I was right. I was right. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, she's a major established artist. 
And that just makes me so mad that I've never heard of her. Yeah. To me, the most important thing to bring back is the fact that she is, she was an artist. She was more than a model. And I think that's really like what she wanted to tell me. That was, I think the most important thing to her to get out was, hey, I'm not just this person in this painting. I'm looking at you for a reason, which is there's more to me. So there she is. Well, and that's also like the other benefit of sitting in all of these studios. She's not just watching painters paint. She's not just seeing how it works. She's watching how different painters paint. What do I like and what does this, how does that work? Yeah. Like she's, she's basically having a crash course in art criticism before yes. she goes to art school. And, and there's such an interesting, I don't know, layer to it all too, because what she's seeing is all the different ways people are painting her. Oh yeah. Everybody yeah. is doing a version of her and she's going, interesting what you did there with my eyes. Yeah. Ooh, it's, I've had to have been such a existential experience. Oh just yeah, to see that's true. Yourself through all these different lenses and learning from it too. So Dreama Drudge felt called to tell her story hmm. in the Musée d'Orsay. The problem was she had nothing to go on. <sighs> As of that point, there weren't any paintings of hers known to survive. They didn't think there were any. But then in 2004, a painting showed up, Palm, Palm Sunday. Sunday. <gasps> it's a painting of a woman with dark hair in profile, and she's got palm frond in her hand. It's lovely. Uh, but what I love so much about it is the symbolism that this is the first Victorine painting to emerge. And it's Palm Sunday and waving palms, laying them on the ground. That's an ancient gesture for welcoming a, a hero home, for celebrating uh, the return of a hero. <laughs> I love it. So when I started writing my book, obviously uh, that was the only painting I had as a reference point. So now the story of Victorine becomes the story of how one woman tapped into the story of Victorine. <laughs> Let's pause for a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. It really is the perfect time to start a subscription to Girls Can Crate. Every month, they'll deliver a brand new real-life Shiro to your front door, introducing kids to a fascinating woman who changed the world, complete with a gorgeous 28-page activity book, all the materials for two to three STEAM activities like experiments, art projects, and more. Girls Can Create is a lifesaver for anyone trying to homeschool, hybrid school, or just entertain their kids, and it's a wonderful educational surprise for any kid from ages 5 to 10. For busy families, they have digital subscriptions and mini crates too. Check them out now at girlscancrate.com and use the coupon code HERNAME, all one word, to get 20% off your first month's crate. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. 
Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. And like I said before, I thought if I don't have all of these facts, I'm going to have to look at the paintings and see what the paintings can tell me. And I so badly, I thought, well, I wish I could see more of her work. I'll just have to make it okay that I have this one painting. At least I have that. And I can like zoom in and look at the brush strokes, you know, and, and uh, try to see what I can discover from that. And it's a beautiful painting. I mean, I hope listeners will look it up. Um, it's just, it's gorgeous. So in my novel, there's this antagonistic sort of um, thing going on with Victorine and her mother. And I, I thought, well, how can I show that her mother is capable of love, just not towards her daughter? So I gave her mother a dog, this little terrier guy. And, um, you know, her mom would just pet it and feed it and, and love on it, giving, giving it everything she ought to give her daughter and wasn't. And then another Victorine painting emerged. Uh, a painting called Jupe. And it was of a little terrier, this little tiny dog. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) I don't have any backstory on that. I just know that Victorine painted it and uh, that it has recently come to light. It's just, yeah, very vivacious. And it fit my story. And I'm like, I got goosebumps. I was like, okay, she really is talking to me. You know, and like I said, I know that's very woo-woo, but that's what it felt like. And then one that I really think I'm going to cry. Um, So I was writing my book one day, um, writing Victorine. And I remember I was sitting on the couch and this little boy just walks up and introduces himself. He's like, I'm Pug. I'm like, I didn't call for a little boy. I'm not writing about a boy. You know, it's fine, but what are you doing here? And that was sort of, you know, not to compare children and dogs, but that was giving Victorine someone to love. And so it's this... This boy who is almost like an orphan, even though he has a mother and lots of siblings, because he too is having to work to help support his family. Um, And Victorine feels very tender towards him and wants to sort of care for him. And as far as we know, Victorine never did end up getting married or having children. And so this was my, like I said, version of giving her someone to love. Again, unverifiable. Apologies. (laughs) Apologies. (laughs) But, um, well, I like this little guy. This, This is neat. And then among the paintings, there was Jupe, and then there was this painting of this little boy eating a piece of bread called Le Briquet. And um, I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I sent the picture to my editor. I thought, this is how I'll do it. I said, remind you of anyone? And she goes, that's Pug, the little boy in the book. She goes, that's Pug. I'm like, yes, that's Pug. I thought it was so tenderly done. And the fact that he's eating, and, and already in my novel I had that he was eating like all the time, which of course boys that age will, but you know, he was eating all the time, all the time. So how fitting that this little boy's eating. And it's, I think she had a, a heart for that sort of, um, that sort of subject. So now there's three paintings to tell wow. her story. Wow. She's channeling something. That's so awesome. Wow. I see deliberateness. I see someone um, who has waited a very long time to do this and is very deliberate, very careful, um, 
knows what she wants to paint. But I felt like my Victorine was is so fiery and so full of life. And like when I see someone else's account of her online and I'm kind of like, well, I can see where you're getting that from, but I don't agree, you know, or that doesn't, yeah. that's not my Victorine. <laughs> and it's like, well, none of us actually have a whole lot of facts at this point. So uh, she's a little open to interpretation. Wow. But we know there must have been so, so many more because in 1903. Uh, she was inducted into the Society of French Artists in 1903 with the support of the society's founder, Tonnet Robert Fleuret. So obviously he thought she was okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, where did they all go? Exactly. Where did they all go? Nobody knows. Oh, man. People thought she just disappeared. Hmm. They would say, um, why don't we ever see her anymore? Where is she? And the rumor was that, oh, she had died young. She had been an alcoholic. Maybe she had had some sort of sexual illness, you know, maybe syphilis or whatever. When the truth was, that, was, that wasn't it at all. She's a sexually fluid person, from what I am understanding. Um, I do believe that she had relationships with both men and women. But what happened wow. was she had become a painter herself. She lived to age 83, happily ever after, in a country town six miles outside of Paris. <laughs> <laughs> and she was a painter. This is, this is really cool, I think. <laughs> so the last 20 years of her life, she moved in with a woman, Marie Defour. And they lived together, uh, presumably owned the house together. Uh, and Marie was a piano teacher. And Victorine, rumor has it, made her living doing like portrait paintings and paintings of pets. I mean, what a delightful scene. A couple of old ladies, a musician and an artist living in this country town, teaching music lessons and painting <laughs> to their old age. Oh, did people know? I mean, when she's in the Paris Salon, it, do people know that that's her or is there a break like that's that's yeah. the girl that's in all these paintings or is there a break where people don't realize that this painter is that person good question it appears that everybody knew it was wow. her. some historians have done oral histories in that town and interviewed like elderly residents who remembered her when she lived there hmm. and they talk about it when she was 80 there was a, um, a census done in Cologne, and she described herself as an artist at the age of 80 and so I think that says it all, you know. She didn't let go of that, she, she never did. She lived the dream. Just her intense desire to be a part of art from birth. I mean, I really, I just think living a life of art, uh, whatever our art is in life, whether it's actual painting or whether we have a passion for, I'm going to say tennis, I don't know. But, you know, just taking that overdriving passion and making it something that at the age of 80, you're still saying on the census, I am a painter, you know. And especially for a woman who had been painted so many times by men, I wanted to see her self-portrait so badly. I mean, I just, oh my goodness, I could not. I thought, well, 
I'm just going to have to imagine it. And so I did. So I, I wrote an imaginary version of it in my book. Dream of Drudge finished her book, and there are so many great passages, just lines that are packed with ideas. And it was about to go to press, and then... Three months before my book was due to be published, I have to give him the credit, he tells me not to, but my husband, we're in bed one night, and he shows me, he's like, have you seen this painting? And I'm like, and I grab his phone, I'm like, excuse me? And then I run to the computer, and I go to put in this website, and I'm like, well, it actually wasn't a website, it was a sale bill, is what it was, and it is the self-portrait of Victorine. Victorine's self-portrait. What? <laughs> what? I know. All this time, we've had other people's versions of Victorine. So, of course, I'm freaking out, and I'm. it's in a private collection, and I'm, well, currently is. Uh, I'm, I, it's for sale at some point, hopefully. It, I'm hoping a museum will buy it. But um, So I'm communicating with the, the owner, and I'm saying, is there any way we could use this? on my book and you know we thought this painting was long gone we thought this painting had been lost let alone now i'm looking at it what is it i fun? think it's still for sale i think it's still listed she said it's like two hundred thousand dollars so sadly she can't afford to buy it well yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah buy your book everyone there's passion in what she paints i mean um in her self-portrait i guess i see such a self-awareness i think she purposely didn't make herself like ultra beautiful because i don't think she saw herself as that but i think she saw herself as just full of life and full of art and she's wearing a fr you know not frilly but she's wearing a very silky looking you know yellow um i'm, I'm picturing it as a ball gown almost like Belle from beauty and the beast <laughs> And then she has a, a flower in her hair. Yeah, she still kind of looks no-nonsense to me. And so to see this woman, how she saw herself versus how all these men saw her was just like, it did my heart good. And I was like, okay, this is why you were looking at me in that painting saying, I have something to tell you. <laughs> how would you paint yourself, Olivia? Oh, badly. But um... <laughs> imagine if you just had... Endless skill. Yeah. Yes. I think it's... Boy. Well, it's me, right? So, of course, it would have been something pre-Raphaelite-y. Because yeah. that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to be, both the pre-Raphaelite girl and the pre-Raphaelite painter. And, yeah. And the uh, the girl in all the pre-Raphaelite paintings looks remarkably like me. Yes. Um, so would it be in some uh, romantic scene in the past like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would be a faux medieval... Guinevere or I'm somebody probably. Yeah, that's what I would do. Cool. Have you seen that app lately that takes photos of pets? Yeah. And then <laughs> turns them into Elizabethan portraits yes. with a big neck ruff? Yes, I love that. I think them. that's what I would do. Yeah. I would just give myself an out outrageous Elizabethan costume. <laughs> nice. So neither of us would actually paint ourselves. <gasps> Isn't that interesting? We wouldn't mm. paint ourselves in our real life. Because we live that, in the age of wow. lots of photography, and mm. that's not what painting is for anymore. 
Oh, right? interesting. Painting yeah. is not about what does this person look like anymore. It's about something mm. else. Wow. Whereas Victorine has painted herself as she is in that moment. She had enough of that from all those guys. <laughs> Victorine died age 83. Uh, she died just outside of Paris in Colombe, which is now a suburb, but at the time was six whole miles away from Paris, right? <laughs> so it was quite a distance. Um, and that was on March 17, 1927, at the age of 83. And for a woman who lived so long and was so honored and so productive... Why don't we know more about her? Yeah. I mean, something that was in the salon, I mean, it's doubtful that it got thrown away. I mean, maybe it's in someone's attic or someone's basement or, you know, who knows? But I, I, I've not given up hope because, like I said, as of 2004, we thought there was only one and now there are four. <laughs> Steal yourself for this next part. Oh, no. Yeah. Supposedly, when her lover passed away, Marie, who passed away, I think maybe four years after Victorine, uh, one of the neighbors, when they were interviewed, remembers everything being put on like a burn pile. I guess there were there was no one else to take the stuff. Burn pile <gasps> in the town. Oh and no! And they burned it all. Oh no! They burned it all. They were throwing things on like instruments. And there was a violin case put on the burn pile. Yeah, I can't 100% say it was hers, but you know, the rumor was that she taught lessons. What? Okay, no, but you don't do that if that's valuable stuff. So that was a... Isn't it? Is that because they were lesbians? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I hope not. It's, I mean, it could be their last dying wish. They could have... Marie could have done it herself, you oh. know? Well, maybe they were of your belief that they didn't want people to remember them. <laughs> And they just wanted yeah. to be buried in an unmarked grave and forgotten. <laughs> I completely respect that. I, I don't. I get it. How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I even dare imagine it, but if there were paintings on that <gasps> fire, that could be why we only have four. I would. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I put. Wow. But, you know, you've, you've maybe heard the story that Van Gogh had a painting that was like patching a chicken coop or something once upon a time. So who knows? Maybe they're yeah. still around and maybe there's a chicken coop somewhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Something's there's a story there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. And when you see her staring straight out of those paintings, she reaches across space and time and she comes right through. Hmm. And now we have a book. It gives her a voice. Hmm. What's it called? I want to read it. Victorine. Oh, all right. Hopefully it's brought some things to light about her that weren't known, but also um, it tells the greater truth about art and the place of women at that time. Victorine, 
by Dreamy Drudge. Slowly, my nose heals. My heart takes its time doing so. I miss Willie, and when I walk home at night, it's all I can do, not to travel to the other side of town, go to him. I needed the distance from art sometimes that his fighting gave. In Paris, as lovely as it is, it is easy to feel you are nothing if you're not an artist or wealthy. Some, like Manet, dare combine both, although he is considered more comfortable than rich. In Paris, you are funding art, creating art, or material for it, or you are nothing. The writings of Baudelaire have challenged the Academy's very ideals of beauty. Now writers, artists, and fashion designers claim all women can be beautiful if only they buy the right clothing, which the department stores capitalize on. Perhaps it was meant to be liberating, but it is anything but. Our unpainted faces are no longer considered attractive. Our bodies in workaday clothing are not enough. We cannot either be or not be beautiful. We must pursue it by buying the most expensive garments we can afford in sprawling department stores that rival the size of our cathedrals. They are our new cathedrals. I can attest to that. Throngs of women rush upon the store at the slightest sign of a sale or a new shipment. Had Manet painted my nose crooked, I would have respected him more for it. Manet gives me the painting he did of me without ceremony. Ironically, the more I look at it, the more I like it, because he shows what he wants for me in it, what he imagines I want or maybe deserve. Nothing is true or untrue. There is no truth, only shading. Special thanks to Dreama Drudge. You can find her at dreamadrudge.com, where she actually has a special deal for you. So if you want a free literary historical fiction story, I had actually written one earlier about uh, Henri Matisse's student slash model, Olga Mearson, and I think that sort of opened me up to the idea of doing this other novel. So it's sort of a precursor. And uh, those who sign up for my newsletter at dreamadrudge.com, uh, you'll automatically get that story. And lucky us, her husband is a musician, and he has actually composed an album of music that goes along with her novel. Wow! It's like the soundtrack to her novel, and he generously shared those songs with us, so a lot of the music you're hearing in this episode was composed by him wow. to accompany Victorine's story. This is why creatives should marry other creatives. <laughs> the album is called The Many Faces of Victorine by Barry Drudge, and you can find it on SoundCloud. The accordion music you heard was by Dana Boulay, which you can also find on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. And of course, piano music by Claude Debussy and Eric Satie. Our theme song was composed by Daniel Foster Smith. Our intern is Grace Stearnley. Would you like to travel with What's Her Name? We are taking our first ever What's Her Name Women's History Tour of England in September 2021, if all things go well. You can sign up on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com, and click on Tours. 
You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post all kinds of additional content each week. And you can become a supporter on Patreon for as little as a buck a month. And participating at different levels gets you lots of prizes like subversive cross-stitch patterns, trading cards, and more. Thank you so much for donating. Thanks for listening. We've got a podcast for you called Broads You Should Know. Broads is one of my very favorite words. I think it's one of the coolest, most underused words. I always thought a broad was like a fast-talking 1940s woman who'd throw on her blazer and go tackle the world. I feel like it's a woman who makes her own rules. A broad doesn't necessarily have to have done something good. Smart, badass women who had an impact. Learn about the broads who help shape our world wherever you listen to podcasts. Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. <laughs>